All right, uh, let's open up to the book of Acts. We are back, back in Acts, Acts chapter 19. And we're in uh, verses 18 to 20 this morning. If you remember, we're in like this little mini series going on, um, calling it Lessons from Ephesus. Because we're, we're looking at the birth of a church, the church in Ephesus. And we have five of these lessons we're learning from Ephesus this morning. Uh, what we learn from this church is to confess our sin. So I'm going to read Acts 19, 18 through 20. I'm reading out of the NIV. We'll read that and then we will pray. Acts 19, verse 18. Actually, let's back up one verse. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which we'll learn what that is. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word the word of God that is given from you, Holy Spirit. You breathe into men and they they wrote down your very word. Lord, I thank you for the power in your word. Lord, as, as um, as, as I am faithful to your word this morning, we will hear from the living God. Your word is living and active. And so, Lord, thank you that, um, man, you are not limited by my limitations this morning, that your word is powerful. It's powerful. Would you use your word, Holy Spirit, like a sword and do, do mighty, mighty things through and in your people this morning? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, hey, happy new year. New, new, you know, new Sunday, first Sunday of the new year. And this would be a great Sunday for like a quality, motivational sermon, right? New year, new you, you got this. Um, uh, this last week, a pastor in Boston, not Al, had, um, from Reality Boston, had quite the experience. He, he posted online, so I'm allowed to share it. Um, he was ending the year, and he was preaching a sermon called, I'm Over It. And what he was referring to is like, hey, it's the end of the year. It's time to move on, get past these hurdles that were holding you back. And he did like an object lesson, and he, he wanted like the church to visualize what it is to get o- over something. So he brought up a hurdle, you know, like a track hurdle on stage. And then he brought on a little trampoline, and he's like, no, I want, I want us to visually see what it is to get over these things. And so he runs, and he jumps, and the trampoline slips, and he's in the air, and he lands on his head on the stage. He gets back up. God preserved him. He preaches the rest of the sermon. But, but here's the point. Isn't that how it goes? Isn't that, listen, hey, new year, new you. I got the everyone. Watch me go. The next minute you're on your head. Um, so we're going to skip the motivational sermon this morning. We're going to look to the word of God this morning. And in all seriousness, I want us to, to look at something else this morning. Besides how great we are and how, how we can get over our hurdles, I want us this morning to think about the holiness of God. You guys, God is holy and perfect. God has never slipped. He is absolutely good, absolutely holy. Right now, there are millions 
of beings surrounding him, declaring his holiness and his worth. And church, we have to start here with the holiness of God because listen, a walk with God is not a self-improvement project. God is not your self-help coach. He's not looking at you saying, you got this, you can do it. If, if you are looking for a place this morning to hear about your potential, I'm sorry to say this is not the place for you. In fact, you don't need this place for that message. Go on every best-selling book, you, you got that message. You've been told that message. Church, this place, this place is where we behold the glory and majesty of a holy God. And, and this place, this morning, is, is, is a place for only one type of person, one who is in desperate need of help and a savior, one who is higher and more capable than we are. This morning is a place where we say, Jesus, all of my hope is in you. I need you. Apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. Apart from you, I will fall on my face. I need you this morning. And you know what? The mark of a true, mature Christian is one who knows, is very familiar with their own weakness, who, who knows how to throw themselves at the mercy of God. That is the mark of maturity. Like, I don't have this. I need Jesus. I, my only hope is in Jesus in his salvation, in his righteousness, in his presence, in, with his spirit in me, that is my only hope. And so this morning in our text, we are looking at this birth of this new church, this young church that was radically moved to humble themselves before God and confess their sin before God. We've learned from Ephesus already, don't forget your first love, which is Jesus, We've learned, we, we have this enemy named Satan and we're to confront him. And this morning, we're learning from Ephesus to confess our sin. Um, just a quick context of, of chapter 19, where we're at. Paul comes to Ephesus, he preaches the gospel. People get saved, they're filled with the spirit. God's performing miracles. People are getting set free from evil spirits. Remember these Jewish exorcists see this church successful at driving out demons and they're like, hey, I want that power. So they start using the name of Jesus. They, these guys go to a demon-possessed man. They say, you know, in Jesus' name, come out. And the demon's like, I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but I, I, we see no authority in you. And, and this man who's demon-possessed masters these seven sons. They are beaten naked and flee for their lives. That's what just happened in the text. And, that, and look at verse 17. It says this, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Like real, crazy, supernatural stuff is going on. And then in our verses this morning, we're going to read again, 18 and 19, it says this, many of those who believed, this, this church, these new Christians, now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. Now, real quick, I want us to notice two things. Number one, they openly confessed their sin, like openly. And this wasn't like, yeah, you know, sometimes I lose my temper. This was like, I'm a witch. 
like I perform spells and curses on people and, and they come forward and openly confess their sin because church, there's only one type of person, a broken, sinful person who needs Jesus. And the church is where we, broken, needy people come with our baggage and our sin and we give it to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I am sorry for what I've done, where I've been, I've wandered, I confess my sin to you. And then notice, they not only confessed, they go on to publicly destroy their like works of witchcraft. Uh, it says in this church, they collectively threw away all their books of sorcery. It was valued at 50,000 drachmas. Now what is drachma? I think maybe in your... Uh, footnote, it's a, a day's wage. Okay, so th- for perspective, um, I looked it up. What's the average daily wage in America? It's $200. And what's 50,000 times $200? Anybody know? Quick math. $10 million. This new church just literally threw into the fire $10 million. Now think about, think about that. Think about that for us. Think about what $10 million could do for a church. But you know what God says? I would rather $10 million be in the fire and and that that sin be confessed. I would rather you take $10 million and burn it to have your sins be openly confessed. Because what is a rich church where there is secret and unconfessed sin? What, What is that? What value would it be for us reality carp to have so much, so many resources, and yet be holding on to our secret sin. Now, I, wanna, I want us to, I want to be real and honest. Why do we struggle so much to openly and publicly confess and renounce our sin? When was the last time someone came forward in our church, in, in your life, and said, I've been addicted to pornography. I've been cheating on my spouse. I have been constantly angry. Here, take my hard drives. Take my drugs. Take my laptop. Take my bank account. Take this prescription. I am done with this. Why doesn't that happen? When was the last time we did this? Why do we struggle as a people, as a church, with doing this? I think a couple of things. Number one, we forget what it is to be a Christian. We forget about the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector found in Luke 18. Remember the Pharisee, if, if you don't know this story, there is a Pharisee goes to church. He was killing it, which is my generation's way of saying he's doing a really good job. He was killing it spiritually. He was tithing. He was fasting. He was obeying God. He comes to church, killing it, says, thank you, God, that I'm killing it. We think Christianity is that. And then the tax collector, Jesus says, but then a tax collector came, which, which in that day and age was the worst kind of sinner. This guy sold his soul to the Romans. He's robbing his people, giving it to the Romans. A tax collector comes and Jesus says, he stood far off. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he simply says, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And you know what Jesus says? He he says this, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Church, to walk with God is to humble yourself and daily cling to the mercy of God. To walk with God is not to be killing it spiritually. To walk with God is not, man, I read the Bible plan, I'm tithing. That is, that's not the point. That is, that's not the story of this book. In fact, we will see together, nobody was able to pull it off. Nobody. Because that's not the story. The story is we fall so short. Have mercy on us, O God. And God says to those who humble themselves, I will exalt them. I will give them my grace and my mercy. I think we forget what this whole thing is about. And I've noticed something else that's missing from our conversations about sin and confession. Um, I've noticed as a church, we're, 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 we're very good and aware that we have an enemy, Satan. We're good at that. And we, we know that we get, uh, you know, like assaulted by Satan. But, but we've forgotten something that doesn't come up in our conversations when, when it comes to talking about our sin. And, and I, I want us to remember something so important the Bible talks about, and it's this. It's the doctrine of indwelling sin, okay? This is, this is how the story typically goes. I'm gonna use myself as an example. This is real, uh, but this represents conversations I've had with junior hires, high schoolers, college students, and adults. This is how the conversation goes. And I'm, I'll do it for myself. In my youth, this is true, I, I was introduced to many sins. Fifth grade, I was introduced to pornography, all through junior high, high school, college, I continued to walk in sexual sin. I knew it was wrong. And I tell myself, God, I'm sorry, I'm done. I'm never gonna do that again. And I, I just wouldn't have success. Then in my last year of college, the Lord did a really powerful work in my life. And he met me. And all of a sudden, I just, I had like radical love for the Lord and his word. And like, all of a sudden, my sin seemed gross. And I didn't, I genuinely didn't want it. And I had this like new success in fighting my sin that I never had before. And I thought, I thought to myself, I'm, this is it. I'm, I am done with this sin. I am healed. I've been delivered. I, I don't struggle with this anymore. And that was true for many years. But as time went on, as years went by, this old sin would rear its head in me. A temptation would kind of come out of nowhere. And then, and then I would stumble in it. And then I would be like, wait, I thought this was done. And then I'd, have, I'd fight it off and I'd have success. And then maybe a year would go by and then, then maybe the temptation and then I would stumble. And here's what I've noticed in myself and in us. We have extreme like confusion and discouragement at this moment. Like, why am I still struggling with this? I thought this was done. I thought I was past this. I thought the Lord delivered me from this. I thought the spirit of God in me would completely remove all of my desires for sin. Like, am I not saved? Am, am I getting something wrong? And, and this is the question that I have come across in my life and in others' lives. And, and we, I think we have some confusion about what it is to walk with Jesus, with this, with this idea of indwelling sin. And, and again, we know about the enemy. Sometimes we're like, you know what? No, it's just the enemy and he's messing with me. And that's true. Um, we're familiar with the filling and baptism of the spirit. Like, hey, you just need to be filled with the spirit. That's true. 
But there's another, there's another truth that the Bible, it's, it's a tool actually the Bible gives us to understand ourself and what's going on. It's what the Bible refers to as our flesh or the old man or what smart theologians call the doctrine of indwelling sin. Now, we're going to get like a little theological for a minute, but it cannot be more practical. Okay, so, so, so hang with me. I, I want us to read Galatians 5.17. This is Paul testifying to our experience as Christians. We have it on the screen. Galatians 5.17 says this, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you, are, you do not do whatever you want. Listen, as born-again sons and daughters of God, you are filled with the Spirit. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, you have the Spirit of God living in you right now. And yet the Bible says we also have this thing called the flesh, the old man, the indwelling sin. Every Christian has like the, this inside of us, the spirit of God and the flesh. And so every Christian has a daily battle waging inside, not just outside, not just Satan, not just the world. We have a daily battle. I mean, does any, can anybody testify to this daily battle, right? Like this is every day. I wake up and I know it's good to be with God, but like, I don't want to be with God. Like, it's this battle. I face temptation. I know that's sin. I know it's wrong. I don't really want it, but like, why do I want it? It's this battle. Paul testified to this experience in Romans 7. Look at these verses. He says this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Can anyone testify to that? Like, yes, I delight in, I know I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He's saying, man, in my heart, I love the law. And also, why is this flesh thing happening? This is why Jesus taught us to pray every day, Father, forgive us our sins. Jesus taught us to follow me. You will pray every day, Father, forgive us our sins. I want us now to think about like the Christian journey. There's four big theological, I wish I didn't use that word because they're they're normal things that happen. Four, Four stages in salvation, okay? The first thing that happens is this, new birth, salvation. We get saved. It's what I was talking about. All of a sudden, I like, hated my sin. And I loved God and I loved his word. It's like, why is this going? I, I love God. That, that's the beginning. The next thing that happens simultaneously is what the Bible refers to as justification. It's where we know that we're forgiven of all our sin. Present, past, and future. The sin you're going to do in 20 years, forgiven. And we are declared righteous before God. So that's, Jesus paid it all. All my debts are gone. Thank you, Jesus. What then happens is this thing called sanctification. And this is where the confusion happens. Sanctification is the slow, let me repeat that word, the slow, does anyone testify to that? The slow process of becoming practically holy. We forget that the Bible says, hey, you're not there yet. There will be a day when you will see Jesus face to face. And all of this struggle and slowness will be over. But right now, 
by the spirit of God in you, you will slowly grow in holiness. Look at these two verses in Hebrews chapter 12. They're so good. I'm gonna read it in the NLT. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us Christians, this is Christians, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. There's Travis's metaphor, just running. Ah, why does it have to be running? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who, these are two important words, initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. You guys, this is so important. We've heard this before. The gospel, the good news that God loves you in spite of your sin is not just for the day you're saved and then you put that on the shelf and then like you get to work. The gospel is for every single day of your life. As you continue to struggle, you have to remember Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the only champion. I'm not the champion. I will stumble and fall. I need to look to Jesus. That's why it says in this verse, Jesus is the initiator. He started your faith. When you got saved, he like saved you. Amen. But do you know what else he is? He's the perfecter of your faith which means you're not the perfecter of your faith. You need Jesus every day and his spirit in you and his word to slowly run the race. And one day, and this is the last piece of salvation, we will see him face to face. And it's what the Bible refers to as glorification. That day is coming. You will see him face to face and you will be made completely new, physically and spiritually. No more suffering or sorrow. No more struggle with sin. But until that day, we have this indwelling sin, our flesh. And it teaches us, hey, it will be a struggle, a fight, a race, a battle. It's not just the enemy. It's our own flesh. So church, don't be surprised when you struggle with sin. In fact, this, this is encouraging and discouraging. The more you grow up as a Christian, the more aware you will become of your own weakness, of the flesh that remains in you. That's a mark of maturity. And, and you will know, man, I need Jesus. I, the Bible says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. You, you need to be humble and know, man, I need Jesus. And here's, here's an encouragement. If you experience this struggle against sin, do you know what that's evidence of? That you're a child of God. Do you know who doesn't struggle with sin? The world. They just get to enjoy it and love it. There's no struggle. They, they may not like consequences, but let me ask you this question. If there were no consequences, would you choose your sin or would you choose God? How you answer that reveals the state of your heart. The Christian says, man, I like sin, but I hate sin. And I know God is better. And I struggle, but deep down, I know God is better. Really smart old pastor said, said this, he shall find the stream to be strong who swims against it. Man, the more you fight your sin, the more you're like, wow, this is a battle. Do you know what? Do you know who doesn't realize the stream is strong? The one who's just floating along with it. 
The very fact that you are struggling is evidence that you've been born again, have the spirit of God in you. You have a new heart that loves the Lord, that, that will slowly grow to walk with Jesus. So I want us to, to get really practical about confession for a minute. Um, we, we learn two really important practical what not to do and one really important helpful what to do from our, from our first parents, Adam and Eve. If you're reading the Bible uh, together, man, how de- depressing was it, right? Like, it's so good. God created everything. It's beautiful. And then Adam and Eve, like, from the, right off the bat, just, uh, now the whole Bible is just broken people. And so I want us briefly, you can turn with me there. You don't have to. We're going to have it on the screen. I'm going to look at Genesis 3, and I want us to get really practical about confession for a minute. Three truths I want us to notice. So to set the stage, if you don't know this story, God created Adam and Eve, all things good. It was perfect. They're in the Garden of Eden, and God put this tree in the middle, this test of trust. Hey, don't eat from this tree, the tree of good and evil. Satan comes. He deceives Eve. Eve takes the fruit. She eats it, gives it to her husband. He eats it. And in this moment of sin... They are filled with shame. And the Bible says they realized they were naked, like literally naked, but they didn't realize it until then. They were, they were ashamed and realized they were naked. Now, notice, I'm gonna want us to notice, we're gonna look at Genesis 3, verse seven. Notice what they do, because this is what we are tempted to do in the moment after our sin. In fact, like these next two points will be, instead of confessing, we do this, Okay. Genesis 3, 7 says this, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Listen, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They realize they're naked. They, they, co- they, they get with their hands, they sew fig leaves together and they make coverings for themselves. And here's the point, here's the truth. Rather than confess our sin, we try to cover up our sin, Right? They, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They were naked and ashamed. When we sin, we feel that shame. We feel naked. And we will be tempted in that moment, rather than confess our sin, to cover, to take whatever resources we have and to cover ourselves up with our own fig leaves, so to speak. They knew they sinned. But, but they, they wanted to cover themselves. Church, we are tempted to do the very same thing. We, when we sin, we feel exposed. And so we, we try to cover ourselves. Maybe it's positive thinking. Oh, it's not that bad. Sweep it under the rug. Maybe for some of us, like myself, we, we try to cover our bad works with good works. Oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go serve at church and I'm going to feel better about myself. You know, I'm kind of like balancing the scales. And they were, they were hiding from one another as they're covering. When we cover ourselves, we're, we're hiding. We're in a sense even lying to God and one another. Uh, a pastor named Diedrich Bonhoeffer in World War II wrote about this concept. Listen, listen to what he says. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. We just kind of run and hide it. We cover up our sin. So I want, us, I want to ask us, church, together, all of us, what are you covering up that needs to be confessed and shared? Husbands and wives, is there something you are not sharing with one another? And I want to ask you specifically, 
Church, what is the Holy Spirit? This is what the Holy Spirit does. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now that, you, that you've been trying to cover up? What are you covering up? And in fact, I'm just gonna take a minute for us to be still. I'm even gonna ask us to close our eyes. I want us to be still before the Lord and ask the Spirit to reveal something to us. So let's just do that for 30 seconds. Lord, I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you, in your love, in your love, would reveal to us where we have been covering our sin. All right, the next, next point comes in the next verse, Genesis 3, verse 8. This is the next thing we do. It says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Not only do we, do we cover ourselves, we, we run from God. Rather than confess, we run from God. When, when we sin, we all know this. We feel this like palpable separation from God. We know we've like walked from him. We've chosen our sin. And now in that moment where we feel like that, that something's off in our relationship, rather than return to him, we so often run in the other direction. And listen, in the very moments when we need God the most, we are so prone to run from him. We stop going to church Stop going to home group. We avoid those friends who love God and we know they're gonna ask us how we're doing because we don't want them to notice where we're at. We kind of run from God. And, and even worse, especially men, we do, something, we do something even worse than running. This is kind of like a little bonus point. It's gonna hurt men. Uh, verse 12, Adam says this to God. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. I want to have a moment for the men. Women, you, this is not for you. We see our father, the first man, not only not confess his sin, we see him so bold as to blame his wife and blame God for his sin. We, Eve doesn't react this way. The next verse, she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam says, the woman you gave me, God. And, and I want to ask us men, how often are we like Adam? Some of you are in sin and you're blaming your wife for your sin. Or worse, you're blaming God for the circumstances you find yourself in. And uh, I just, with love for you, I want to say, don't be like Adam. Own your sin. Confess it. Don't blame somebody else what they've done to you. Don't blame God for what is happening in your life, man. Let's not be like Adam. And now the third and, and incredible truth we learn about confession in Genesis 3 is this. God pursues sinners like us. Church, God pursues sinners like us. Even at our worst, even when we're running, even when we're hiding, even when we're blaming our wives and blaming God, God pursues sinners like us. 
Genesis 3, 9, it says, but the Lord God called to the man. He's calling out. Genesis 3.21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. At the moment when Adam and Eve were at their worst, God did not say, man, you guys screwed up. You need to get your act together. He sought them out. He called to them. He pursued them. And I love that it says he called to them. You know, one of the names of Jesus is the word because Jesus is the ultimate example of God calling to you at your worst. Jesus is God calling to you when you are at your worst. And what is he saying? I love you. I have come for you. I have come to set you free. And right after this in Genesis 3, God speaks to Satan who tempted Eve. And he says, Satan, from one of the children of Eve, Another son will come and he will crush your head and your work, Satan. And God was speaking. This is the first reference to the gospel in Genesis. In that moment when we were at our worst, God is proclaiming, speaking, I will bring an end to Satan and to sin. And as Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed, just trying to cover themselves with all things of leaves. Think about leaves as clothes, That's not the best choice. There are holes. This is not a good covering. When Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed, trying to cover themselves up, Jesus went to the cross and was literally physically naked. Jesus was literally physically naked and hanging there. And the Bible says Jesus despised the shame. He knew about shame because he was hanging there naked. And do you know what he said? It says, I despise you, shame. I, this is not the last word. Shame is not the last word. As one pastor, John Piper, puts it, Jesus says to shame this, listen to me, shame. You think you can distract me? I won't even look at you. I have joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable and you are almost finished. You cover me now as with the shroud before you can say, so there I will throw you off like a filthy rag. I will put on my royal robe. And when we come to Jesus, we are given a better robe. As Adam and Eve were clothed by God, when we come to Jesus, his blood and his righteousness covers us. And now we get to say the same thing to shame. Shame, you do not have the final word over me. Yes, I have sinned. And I'm not going to cover it with my own works and fig leaves and good works. I'm going to cover it with the work and worth of Jesus, his blood and his righteousness. You guys, there is no better news and no better help to confessing our sin than knowing that God loves you and pursues you and did something about your shame, about your sin. So we, when we know, man, God pursues me, he covers my sin and my shame, I am now free to confess my sin. I am free. Why would I, why would I prefer my own covering of darkness to the light and the glory of the love of God in Jesus? Why would I stay in the dark? Why would I think it's about me doing a good job when something far better, the love of God and the the righteousness of Jesus is offered to me. 
And this church in the book of Acts heard the news about Jesus. And they, man, they were witches. They were doing evil things. And they heard of the love of Jesus. And they said, I can be free. I can come to the light. I don't need to be ashamed. I can despise the shame because Jesus took my shame for me. I can openly confess. I will give up whatever I need to give up so that I can walk in the light with Jesus. And, and so the text in Acts 19 verse 20, it ends with this, with this promise, this encouragement. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Church, don't we long to see the word of God spread in our city, in our church, in our families? Don't we long for this? Don't we long for revival? Do you know what, where revival starts, church? It starts with us confessing our sin, being real with God and one another because we're safe because of the blood of Jesus. In fact, those who have studied revivals say Revival starts first with prayer, and then before revival, it starts with those who are radically, publicly confessing their sin. If you study revival, that happens before revival happens. People getting right before the Lord. Look at what God says, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. This is like the great revival passage. He says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here it is, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Man, we are really, really guilty as American Christians of blaming the wickedness of America. And God says, that's just not how revival happens. This doesn't start with them getting right. It starts with my people humbling themselves and turning from their wickedness. Like the problem with America is not America. It is when we do not confess our sin. When the people of God who have the grace of God, when we will not confess, why would we expect the world to be different when we won't confess our own sin? When we don't confess our sin, it's like we're saying, I don't believe the blood of Jesus is enough for me. I don't believe it's enough. I'm gonna cover it myself. So church, uh, I'm going to invite the, the band up right now, and I'm going to call us to be doers of the word today. Not hearers, not I agree with that, how oh, that was convicting. No, none of that, for real. I'm going to call you to obey Jesus and to confess your sin with your mouth this morning. Uh, we're going to have a prayer team up here. We're going to have pastors up here. The church says you are able to minister to one another. We are all, you are all priests of God. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to ask the church to do this, to confess our sin. And if you are hearing someone um, confess their sin, there may be many things you may be tempted to do. Um, you know, speak, hey, it's okay, or um, me too, or, you know, have a counseling session. But what I'm gonna ask you to do is to simply speak the blood of Jesus over them. You are forgiven. You are loved, beloved son and daughter of God. When God looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus and he loves you. That's what I simply just to speak, the blood of Jesus. Um, you guys, after confession, I want to testify to this, comes great joy and freedom. When we confess our sins, the Bible says we are healed. 
When we confess our sins, there is radical joy and radical freedom. I have seen people, my dear friends, with tears in their eyes, as the Spirit of God moves them to confess, like, they're like back to when it started. Like, man, I just love Jesus. I love him. I love his word. I don't want my sin. Church, we who know Jesus are no longer in, in chains. The blood of Jesus breaks chains. We're no longer truly addicted. We're no longer truly in bondage. The blood of Jesus is over us. Yet some of us walk back in our cell, put on our chains, and be like, ah, there's nothing I can do. Confession is calling that out. Nope, I've walked back in my cell. I don't want that. I repent. I want Jesus. And then receiving as the prodigal son did the embrace of the father. Man, that, you guys, that is waiting for you this morning. That sense of the father's embrace comes as we return to him and receive his love. So Jesus, I ask right now you would radically move and pour out your spirit and that we would be a church that's a real church. It doesn't just come to church, but that is the church that obeys you, Jesus. That, that not only hates our sin, but confesses our sin. And Holy Spirit, I just confess, we confess without you, we can't do it. We won't do it. So please move, Holy Spirit. Please move. Right now, I'm praying, please, Lord, please would you move. Would you move us to turn from our wicked ways, to confess our sin, to cling to the blood of Jesus, that healing and refreshing would come to us. Lord, I really believe that there is unbelievable joy on the other side of confession. There's unbelievable freedom on the other side of our confession. So would we now, to the person on the prayer team or a pastor or a friend or a spouse, would we confess with our tongues, man, I've, I've sinned. Here's specifically how I've sinned and I repent. Please lead us. Please, Holy Spirit, move in your church. God, I specifically also pray for those who've been doing this a long time, who think, yeah, this is a great message for them, sinners. Those like myself, Lord, who are like the Pharisee. Thank you, God, I don't struggle anymore. Thank you, God, I'm, I'm killing it. Would you, would you please convict those of us with spiritual pride to confess our spiritual pride? Would we together humble ourselves before you that we would be healed?